Howdy, howdy, howdy. This is Pastors of the Roundtable, the discipleship podcast, Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MNBC in Monroe, Michigan. We are walking through Luther's Heidelberg Disputation, and uh, today's episode is called Sinners Jesus Came to Call. We've been walking through these uh, statements of Luther as he's trying to argue um, for who we are as sinners, but then how that drives us to Jesus Christ to embrace and rest in um, his grace. Um, So that's where we are are headed to. Um, That's what Luther's been doing, and that's where we've been at in this uh, disputation. Um, I want to open up with a hymn. Uh, I'm not going to sing it. Oh, I'm not going to. So you're going to open up with a poem? Uh, well, what, just, however just you want it. to think about it. Yeah, no, just go for it. You're a vocal vocal major. I was trained. not a vocal major. Did I you was take not... vocal classes? No, none. Never. No. no. Okay. Did you bring your trumpet to play it for no, us? No, I did not. Did you take music classes? I'm sure you've all taken music no. classes. I hope your public school had some kind of elementary music class. I'm talking in college. <laughs> Selling class ever failed. Have you took music classes in college? <laughs> you did? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Are you serious, yeah. Scott? <laughs> I did. I Is public name. school like I elementary? band. I was rebelling. I... You got an F. In, all you have to do is show up and yeah. participate. Just, you had yeah. to turn in a practice sheet, and I, I, I You wouldn't practice? I was ticked at my teacher, and I was just rebelling. What were you? What was your instrument? She wouldn't let me change instruments. You wanted to be a drummer, I bet. I did. What were you? I was a trumpet player. You don't. You didn't want to be that. So you. Yeah, I could see that you. You would want to try to become a drummer and see Matt. They had it easy. <laughs> the drummers. Yeah, I don't know. In college, they had to do a lot of extra work. I did. I, I was in elementary school or middle. This was middle, middle school. school. I was gonna say yeah. In, in college, our drum corps. They, oh, yeah, they, pra- they practiced after. You know, afterwards, mm-hmm. after the regular practice, they had a further practice for just, the whole time. Just hit something. Boom. That's all it is. That's, That's all it is. is. That's it's hitting stuff. Hitting something. All the musicians That's all it do it in time. <laughs> That's the key. Scott watched Stomp and thought, "I can do that." Yeah. You ever seen Stomp? No. Or the, uh, just kids in the drumline. Stomp is a show where it's. You know what Stomp is, Tim? A play. No, it's like a show. It's like a, what it is, is they do percussion, but they do like with trash Trash cans and like brooms. Oh, they'll be like at the Pistons game? I mean, Stomp was like a production. all the time. Yeah. I think it came out of New York. Yeah, it was like like a halftime show of Pistons games and stuff. I've seen them. People like that. They do that kind of thing. Trash cans. Is that cardio drumming? That's That's different. (laughs) (laughs) I'm into cardio drumming. Um, You are? No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, <laughs> I stopped paying attention when you guys start talking. Yeah, about you're band. on your phone. You guys start talking about band. I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> I was out too. Oh I, I failed. <laughs> <laughs> you were literally out. <laughs> they haven't come back in since. Uh, <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> All right. Well, so I was going to. I have do. an opening in the praise team. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine if you want somebody who's going to be rebellious Can you just and bang something to practice. <laughs> So <clears throat> there's that song uh, by Joseph Hart uh, called <clears throat> Come Ye Sinners, Poor and Wretched. Um, right, it opens up, Come Ye Sinners, Poor and Wretched, Weak and Wounded, Sick and Sore, Jesus Ready, Stands to Save You, Full of Pity, Joined with Power, He is Able, He is Able, He is Able, He is Willing, Doubt No More. But then eventually, um, later on in the verse, it says, um, <clears throat> excuse me, 
<clears throat> Come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. And it says, not the righteous sinners Jesus came to call. And that's what the theme is today, is that it was sinners that Jesus came to call. Not the righteous, um, not those who think they've got it together, but only sinners are the ones that Jesus came to call to himself. And so Luther has been rooting out throughout this whole um set of statements he's been rooting out a tendency that you and i have which is a tendency to trust in ourselves to trust in our own abilities our own desires our own works we are naturally impressed with our own works so when we hear instructions or we hear commands or guidelines things that we should do ought to do or to be we because we are blinded to ourselves we naturally think that we have the ability to do those things We're all born like the rich young ruler, thinking all these things I have done from my youth. On the other hand, we're not impressed with God or his works. Again, like the rich young ruler, we come to Jesus and we want Jesus to be our teacher, to be an example, to be an instructor, to be a life coach. But when we look at Jesus, we do not see the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We see as somebody who can come and improve us Um. Uh, but not to uh, save us completely. And so Luther has been, throughout these statements, been rooting out all of our trust in our works. And last week, he has rooted out our misconceived notions about our will. Because the reality is, is that our will, the depth of our sin, is, is that we are in bondage to sin. We only desire and delight in sin. All that we do and will and choose is sin. Now, at this moment, you might be thinking, what's the point? If we can't do anything, then why even try? But Luther has been driving us to see this reality because he thinks it's found in the Bible, that Jesus came to save sinners, helpless, dead, enslaved, lost sinners. That's where Luther, in these statements, has been driving us to see, and that's where we come uh, today. So thesis number 16, Luther writes this, the person who thinks that by doing what is in him, he can willingly make himself move toward grace, adds sin to sin in such a way that he becomes twice as guilty. Number 17, nor is speaking like this a reason to be hopeless, but causes one to be humbled and seek after the grace of Christ. Then number 18, It is certain that man must give up all hope in his own ability before he is able to receive the grace of Christ. Bob Hiller, in his uh, article on these three theses from 1517, Bob Hiller also is like a co-host on the White Horse Inn as well. He writes this. um, He opens up in in this article with a story from John Steinbeck, where John Steinbeck attended a church in Vermont and... um, was, I guess, pleasantly surprised to hear that the preacher was preaching about the reality of hell and God's wrath because he felt like it was actually a God who, um, uh, I don't know, it, this was going to be a lasting message. This it wasn't just some kind of passing message the, the pastor was preaching. But then he uh, continues on in the article and says, here, says this, Here Luther hits us with the full force of the law. You are not a naughty child in need of correction. You are a first-rate sinner. So sinful are you that if you try to correct your sin and prove to God that you are doing everything in your power to right your wrongs, well, you are only making matters worse. 
you are adding sin to sin. There's just no way out of it. You are a first-rate sinner. He continues, the law shows up and says, you are far too gone in your sins to think that you can move towards grace by any power inside of yourself. It's the inside of yourself that's the problem. We say, I know I've sinned, but my heart was in the right place. Perhaps, but once your heart arrived there, that right place was ruined. We are so proud of our religious work and effort. Yet that Vermont God that he's talking about with John Steinbeck preaches, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Or St. Paul can say in Romans, none is righteous. No, not one. No one does good, not even one. The word of God is clear. You are a first-rate sinner with no chance of moving towards grace. You ask, but what about all the good I've done? Does it not count for something? Think of my religious devotion, my political stances, my Christian tweets. Surely God must reward that, the response. Paul can say of his own religious accomplishments and ours, I consider it all rubbish. God's word of law gives us no quarter. Even our best efforts to move towards grace make matters worse. The trouble is, when we try to effort our way to salvation, we can only do so because we are not listening to the other word of God, the gospel. To trust our works in order to obtain salvation is to ascribe to our work that which belongs to Christ alone. His work is to obtain salvation and give it out freely. When we put our faith in our works, even our best ones, we turn them into idols and worship them as though they are Jesus. So what Luther is driving at here is it's not that we just quit and despair, Luther says that all of this conviction of the law and even the reality that everything I do, even my attempts to fix myself are actually sin. The point of all of that is to drive you and me to fall down and pray for grace and rather to transfer our hope from ourselves to Christ in whom lies our salvation, our life and our resurrection. So any thoughts, guys, as we've read about, um, Uh, Bob Hiller, but also Thesis 16, the person who thinks that by doing what is in him, he can willingly make make himself move toward grace, adds sin to sin in such a way that he he becomes twice as guilty. I think it's powerful because, I mean, you know, obviously this is, it's very autobiographical on Luther's part, right? I mean, this is, this was his story prior to to understanding salvation and justification by faith. He was trying so hard, (laughs) you know, taking pilgrimage, you know, trying so hard to cross cancel, if you will, his wretchedness by, by doing these good works and, you know, becoming Augustinian monk and so forth to try to heap upon himself all this merit to the point where he was depressed, depressed, right. And very uh, tormented in his mind until he started reading Romans and Galatians. And so I think he he can speak this very passionately because it's very personal, just like Paul. Paul never mm-hmm. forgot who he was before Christ, that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees and a murderer and so forth. And so Luther never forgot what God's right. grace did in his life. So it's powerful because it's not just like, you know, rhetoric, theological rhetoric. It's, it's truth. It's experienced truth. Mm-hmm. And then he can pass that on. Because he understands the reality of grace. Yeah. I think one of the things that happens is is whenever people first start hearing about their sin and they're convicted by it, 
oftentimes their first response isn't um, isn't to run to Christ. It's to try to improve themselves then. Mm-hmm. And um, I think everybody does this to some degree or another, is that we... Um, like Luther is pointing out, we think, well, oh, there's something wrong here. So what I need to do is to go to church and listen to what Jesus would have me do and be, and I need to strive. So if I struggle with that sin, the way out of this is to just stop doing it Mm -hmm. and to try harder harder, and to to do that. But Luther is actually saying you're actually adding sin to sin whenever you do that. Um, you're actually making things much more worse for yourself. And he quotes in his explanation of this passage, he quotes Jeremiah 2.13, which says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, mm-hmm. broken sisters, sisters, cisterns <laughs> that can hold no water. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we not only abandon God, but then we strive to uh, fix ourselves mm-hmm. in our own strength um, and with our own might. Isn't that exactly the rich young ruler? I mean, you know, you, this was pointed out earlier, um, you know, about how he comes to Jesus and, and says, you know, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right? And, and he, that was sincere. I think he was right. really wanting to know. And, you know, of course, Jesus responds, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor yourself. I've done that. And that, at that point, right. he kind of pats himself on the back. Like, okay, sure. good. Sure. I, I'm good now. And then it says, especially in Mark's gospel, it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Yeah. And that right. word love is agape in the Greek there. So it's mm-hmm. unconditional love. And said, but this one thing you lack. And I don't think it was even about the money. I think sometimes we, we you know, I'm not, I'm not, obviously the money was an issue, but I think bigger matter, the bigger root of that was he was trying to make his life work in a certain way to somehow pat himself on the back or merit himself in in, in his own righteousness. Like, okay, I'm good. And what Jesus points out is his heart. It was, he was, he was not understanding the free gift of, of the gospel of grace. He he was trying to work his way up to mm-hmm. some standard, and Jesus shows him, well, here's your problem. Sell everything you have and come follow me. You know, it's not even about necessarily, okay, do this and do this and do this, and then you're good, but rather, you have a bigger issue, right? right. You have something that is more important yourself, really, is what's getting in the way. And I think that's kind of what Luther's saying. It's like you try to do all, you try to almost like compensate you know, or have these strategies, you know, these kind of strategies to try to figure out how you can rise up on right. righteousness. Right. And until that ladder is knocked down and those crutches are knocked away from you, we'll never see what we really need, which is him. Exactly. So, Yeah, I think um, that's what he's really trying to, to hammer is to uh, help us to see our, our, complete, uh, our complete lossness uh, before him. Um, so that um, we can we can be brought to Christ, and actually Luther says that this is a helpful thing that even the conviction of our sins that we experience when we first come to Christ or the thousandth time that we've come back to Him is that that is actually God's work. Um, he says this: God's alien work brings about a work which is His very own. That is, He brings forth the sinner that He might make him just. 
And what he's saying there is, uh, I found this, this is another quote um, from Joseph Hart, that, that hymn writer. He says, a sinner is a sacred thing. The Holy Ghost hath made him so. And what he's highlighting there is, everyone's a sinner, but only the person whom the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, convicts us of sin and brings us to a realization of that. Um, that is the Holy Spirit's work to help you to see that's who you are. And that's kind of what Luther is saying in point 16, that God himself brings forth the sinner, so to speak, in that sense. Not that he makes us sin, but he shows us our sin in order that he might make us just. And that's the opposite way of what we think often, is God comes to us and doesn't say, listen, here, you've got a little bit of ability left. Listen, just trust me. Do your best. Here's some principles and some commandments. And here's how you can get back in my, here's how you can get back up on the horse and keep riding. He doesn't do that. He actually shows us, first of all, you're dead. You can't do anything. And he has to bring us to that point in order that he can make us then just. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that's, that's what the whole point has been to drive us to. Thesis 17 says this, nor is speaking like this, this whole thing, a reason to be hopeless, but causes one to be humbled and seek after the grace of Christ. So what he's saying here is that whenever we talk about this, this whole thing, that everything we do is sin, even our abilities to improve ourselves are sin and our wills are bound in sin unless they're set free by God. Because the natural question that we that our reason is going to think, well, so what? Why do we do anything, right? Because our re- it's hopeless. Um, and Luther is saying, no, actually, the minute that you realize this, you're actually in a very good place. Um, Luther says this: those who do not recognize that they are damnable, and I love this phrase, awful smelling sinners, cannot be humble. Um, he says later on, a sick person seeks treatment when he recognizes how severe his illness is. In the same way, it does not produce despair or death when a sick person is told about the danger of his illness, but instead urges him to seek medical treatment. To say that we are nothing and always sin when we do what, we, what is in us is not hopeless, unless we are stupid. Rather, it makes one focus on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You, you, your, your head turned up, Tim, from your phone when you heard you the word stupid. stupid. Yeah. That was Luther. That was not me. So what he's saying is all of this drives us um, to sin, right? So it's not like we just quit. It's actually that it drives us to see um, the sufficiency that's found in Jesus Christ. Thoughts? Tim? What do you want? You just called me stupid. I did not call you stupid. I did not call you stupid. You know that I did not. Sin drives us to despair. That's what you're saying. Christ and Calvin here, or Luther saying it doesn't, right? That's what no. we're talking about? No. Yes. No. I'm listening to you. No, you're not. Okay. <laughs> no, you're not. Okay. Yes, I am. Kind of. Um <laughs> I understand the argument here because there are people who, when you talk about sin constantly, feel frustrated because they feel you never get past that. And then what joy is there in this? And if you're just telling me I'm a sinner all the time, what right. good, what good is right. that? Right. right? And there's an argument being made here by Luther that that's exactly what you need to finally see who you yeah. are. And so it doesn't drive you to this wretchedness. It shouldn't drive you to despair. It drives you to what you need to Jesus 
which then in turn gives you rest from all the work that you would have to do to try right. to earn something, right. right? And but you only realize that when you're when you realize you're a sinner, right? Mm-hmm. And because sadly, too many people push away from that. They don't want to be seen as a sinner. They don't want to be known as a as a sinner. Right. But and, and sometimes the way that the gospel can be presented can be presented in such a way that, um, well, I mean, I've, I don't know. If we, I don't want to throw out this language entirely, but like. Um, I read something recently that made me think about this. Does Paul ever use the language of none of us keeps the law perfectly? He, like the word perfectly is interesting. We often will say that none of us can keep the law perfectly. But subsumed under that idea is that we can keep the ball a little bit. Hmm. And Paul never talks like that. Paul says none of us keep the law. He doesn't even say the word perfectly. Um, and so what happens is with the word perfectly being used, and I'm not saying that's a bad word to use. I'm just saying sometimes potentially what, what is being heard is, but you can keep it a little bit, right? And so what you need is Jesus to come. You can keep it a little bit and Jesus can help you keep it more. And so what can, what can happen is the gospel becomes Instead of saying, well, no, you don't have to keep all these commandments, but the one thing you have to do now so is believe and repent. And the danger can be is that we put repentance and faith as if they're just two more, two different things that we have to do in order to be saved. They become conditions, and they're conditions that all of us can meet, right? When actually, that's not the way the gospel is actually The gospel is supposed to make you realize, I can't do anything. I can only receive that's actually the place that the gospel is supposed to drive you to is you're dead. You have no options on the table as far as reaching up for God at all. The gospel is God's come to you. He has come from heaven to you. You cannot go to heaven to him. He's come down for you to save you and done everything for you to trust and to receive that gift. And even your repentance is gift from him to work in your heart. He's been exalted. We read in Acts to give repentance for sinners. And then your new obedience is not you obeying the law, although the law is what we should aim for. It's Christ at work in you. It's so it's always gospel at work in us and we typically do not like that because we don't like it because it it it, it removes control from us and also we we start to think well then people won't do anything if we're if we're um if we take away some of the law a little bit, one of the things that I, I thought was helpful uh, recently looking at John Calvin's catechism, um, he talks about the law because, okay, so let's talk about believers because, right, that's most of the people are going to listen to this are believers. So everyone would agree, right? Um, yeah, this is true for unbelievers, but what is your relationship to the law as a believer? Well, the law can't condemn you anymore because Jesus has paid the price. Um. The law does still show us the mark or the goal at which we ought to aim, and it is perfect. So the law is is what we want to do, and it is what we ought to do. It's what you strive to do. It's what you strive to do. But the law still, even after we're believers, the law cannot make us holy or give us the power to attain it even after conversion. The law has no power to give you even after you're saved. Now, that's hard to believe, I think, for a lot of us, but that's the truth. 
In fact, in his catechism, Calvin talks about, he has a question, okay, so what's the law for, what's the, what does the law do for believers? This I thought was fascinating. He says this, there's three uses for the believer. First, while they learn from it that they cannot obtain righteousness by works, they are trained to humility, which is the true preparation for seeking salvation in Christ. Secondly, inasmuch as it requires of them much more than they are able to perform, it urges them to seek strength from the Lord and at the same time reminds them of their perpetual guilt that they may not presume to be proud. Lastly, it is a kind of curb by which they are kept in the fear of the Lord. I thought that was fascinating because Calvin is later on does talk about how the law is what we ought to aim at and everything, but he talks about the law's use for believers and the first use for believers is to, is maybe we could even think about what happens before we have faith in Christ. But I think there's a sense in which even after faith in Christ, it continues to prepare us and drive us to Jesus. The second thing he says is the, the second use of the law is basically to drive you to prayer, to drive you to fall on your face because you can't keep it. And so even as a believer, the law is continually driving you back to Jesus to remind you. He says it reminds us of our perpetual guilt so that we will not presume to be proud. And I think about people in the Bible like like a Peter, right? Peter was someone who, like me or like all of us, could have a tendency to presume to be proud. And so what happened with him multiple times in his life was the law had to come back and convict him and bring him back to Jesus again and again. And that happened to believers, that happened to David in his life. That happens to believers in the Old and the New Testament. Again, the law was not there to condemn them to hell, but it did remind them of their, as Calvin says, perpetual guilt, that even after faith in Christ, we are always unworthy servants so that we don't get a big head. But then lastly, he even uses the language of a curb to keep us in the fear of God um, because we have a tendency, um, even as believers, then if we're prideful, we start to not, um, uh, we maybe, maybe we get to the point to where we think of God simply as a cuddly grandfather in heaven. And Luther is, or, and actually this is Calvin's catechism here, but he's saying the law is also there in a sense to always kind of remind us that, yes, God is your father. But he's your heavenly father. And don't, that doesn't give you the, uh, the privilege to toy with God in, in irreverent ways that are ignore his holiness and his, his glory. So I found that helpful for me as a believer to be reminded that that's actually what God is wanting to do with the law in my life. And I don't know how often, I wonder how often that, that message comes across. That's not, that's not typically the uh, message you get to hear at many churches when they talk about what we ought to do or the, the purpose of commandments in the Bible for believers. But that's actually, um, it doesn't mean the law's bad again, but it's just, that's what the law, that's what living with the law as a believer experiences and feels like. What do you guys think about that? Would you, would you say, though, that one of the, like when I read this, and it's written in a way that I'm not used to, right? <clears throat> Where it says, secondly, inasmuch as it requires of them much more than they are able to perform, just true, I can't do all the law. No. It urges them to seek strength from the Lord, yes, and at the same time reminds them of the perpetual guilt, right? Reminds me I can't yeah. do all the law, that they may not presume to be proud. There is an aspect, though, too, would you agree, of the law that we see that now we... Um, 
do obey at times by the grace of God to where we see ourselves growing and being made more in the image of God. Yeah, I think there's always progress. Yeah, and that's what I mean. But that. But, that, I, but that progress itself is still not, strictly speaking, even able to fulfill the law. Right, no, I'm right? not saying that. But I mean, I think... I think it's helpful sometimes, though, to see progress in a, for Christians in, in their walk and anything. Um, and I, I think that that needs to be talked about as well, because there are some people who are driven, you know, by telling them what to do better. Like we've said, there's others who are driven at times by encouragement, you know, and so saying, I, I do see your growth, brother. I, I see God working in your life, right? I, I see these improvements, so to speak, that God is doing. And and I think what the law does is it helps keep us balanced where we can see the growth and the improvement, but at the same time, we see the wretchedness still of, you're talking about a big law that I'm, I'm growing by little, little, little. Right. I, I can't, I definitely can't keep it all. And so that's where... And probably what you're saying, though, at the same time, is I think other people are better judges of our Christian growth than we are. And I think that's, yeah, I think, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's definitely lines. I mean, there's some people who think they're way better than they are, but I would say for the most people, I think I think at times people think they're way worse than there are, you know, where you have to be reminded that God has been kind to you and you need to, you know, you need to see the how God has, like I said, changed you and molded you and made you to where now you are a more joyful person. You have more peace in your life. You have, you know, these these different things, and this is God working in you, and it's and it's a it's a good thing, right? Keep striving, keep keep going, like Paul would say in Corinthians nine. You know, keep doing these, keep doing these things. But at the same time, there is that law there that helps us not to be proud, and so. I think to be in the right place is when we see that growth. It's not a matter of I am growing so much. It's God is growing me, and I'm thankful that he is doing that, and he's using the law to help me to see this and help me to see areas that I need to keep growing, you know, my sin. And obviously we know that we're not going to be perfect until we're with I think him the danger sure. with that, though, is is not that there's – but it's it's the danger can be for Christians – automatically when you start talking about progress is they turn their eyes away from Jesus then. Yeah, but the Bible and, speaks of progress. Well, you can't it talks deny of, that. But it talks about Christ in me then. Yeah, right? that's what I'm saying. But but I'm saying the the danger is, though, if you're just talking about fruits and and all those things, because I didn't hear those words come out of your mouth whenever you were talking that way. I said, I said God is molding you and making you. That's well, exactly I mean, what I said. I said that you're saying like joy. It. But I mean, like, we're talking about fruits. I think, though, that what often can happen is 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 then we we start looking at those things i'm not saying it's wrong to be grateful for those for those things or to see growth i just think that the tendency is going to be then to turn away from christ because paul's motivation well then what you are saying you just contradicted yourself you are saying we shouldn't see growth because that's going to turn us from christ we should never look at growth we should never say we have growth because i think we will grow i think we will grow but the way we grow is not by looking at our growth i'm not saying that's how we grow either i'm saying we grow by the grace of god he allows us to do that but i'm saying there's nothing wrong with seeing that we have grown no No, I'm wrong or what? No, I'm not saying it's. I, I think what I, I just, all I'm saying is I just think that's a tendency that can happen is if we start to tell people to look at their growth, that can be, the, that that is a danger 
that can happen. I'll say it that way: is that we that our eyes are turned away from Christ again. But I think there's a danger everywhere in our Christian walk, and that's why what he's saying there is that we have a curb of the law that keeps us. It can keep us where we need to be. The fear of the Lord, it says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we we need to we need to have that. But I don't think Calvin or Luther either would want you to be bedridden of guilt all the time either. But the way you're not bedridden with guilt is not by looking at your performance again. It's by looking at the cross. No, but understanding that God and his grace is allowing these things to happen. But the so I, I guess, yeah, but I think, I'm saying the solution though is still never. I, I don't take comfort. I don't think. I don't think ultimately you can take comfort that I am that my guilt is removed because I'm doing because even God is at work in my life in that way. I take comfort that my guilt is removed because of the cross, not because which was God's work in your life, which was God's work for me outside yeah. of me. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not going to take. I don't think that. I don't want to take, I guess that's a different emphasis is that I'm wanting primarily to take comfort in the things that are true outside of me. And I do want people to grow in grace. I want to grow in grace. I want to love God more. And I'm not arguing against that. I'm just saying that whenever the tendency can happen, though, is if our focus is taken away from those things, that we we actually stop growing uh, because we start becoming obsessed with ourselves. Yeah, I wonder... um... I looked up Calvin's catechism, which is where you said this was from, because what he says there, uh, this last use for the believer, it's a kind of curb by which they're kept in the fear of the Lord. I mean, I think continuing to go through what he says there in his catechism, to be kept in the fear of the Lord, it seems that the fear of the Lord for the believer drives them to obedience mm-hmm. to the law. And he, the next statement he has is kind of where you went, Tim, of, when he says, we say then that although during this mortal life we will never never fulfill the law, such perfection is not required of us in vain, for it shows us the mark at which we ought to aim, that each of us, according to the grace of God has bestowed on him, may strive continually to press toward it and to advance day by day. So that's what you were talking about, Tim, is in the fear of the Lord as believers, we hear the law and it drives us to obedience to the law. And we do see that growth. We advance day by day. Um, But then he continues in the next statement. He says, do we not have perfect rule of goodness in the law? Yes. Therefore, God demands nothing from us but to follow it. And on the other hand, repudiates and rejects all that a man undertakes to do beyond what it contains. The only sacrifice he requires is obedience. Um, And then he says, what is the purpose then of all the admonitions, reproof, commandments, and exhortations made both by the prophets and apostles? So he's Old and New Testament there. And he says there are nothing else than declarations of the law, leading us into obedience to it rather than turning us away from Mm -hmm. it. Right. So Calvin is there expounding the idea of his third use of the law, of Mm -hmm. it. It keeps you humble. It helps you see your need for a Savior. But it's also guidance and instruction for the Christian of how we are now to live and to walk and to live in obedience to the law, right? And and there's the idea there of, of growth that you see day by day, like what I think you were talking about, Tim. But at no point do you move beyond those other uses to where it constantly keeps you humble mm-hmm. to help you see where I it's not my advance that I'm trusting in. It's God's grace that I'm trusting in, Right. Yeah, right, you right. see it all. It's all there. Yep. Right, mm-hmm. right. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. There you go. <laughs> it's a wrap. All right. <laughs> no, I think that's good. 
I think that's good. No, and I mean that's why the whole point is the law is the law is the the aim for everybody. The law is what is required of everybody, whether you're a Christian or not. Um, that's 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 what we ought to do, um, and it continually drives us back to Jesus for the power to keep the law. But the power to keep the law can never come from the law. Um, and then lastly, uh, Luther here says in this wonderful statement here. He says in verse 18, verse 18, uh, thesis 18, it is certain that man must give up all hope in his own ability before he is able to receive the grace of Christ. So we must despair of everything we can do, um, everything we can do before we are ready to receive everything that Jesus Christ has to give us. And I think this is this kind of ties into the same idea where um, we have, um, when Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. But if you try to save your life, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to find it. You're not going to keep it. And so in losing our lives, we are, um, we are being crucified with Christ. And, uh, we find in, in our, in the death of, of all of our, of, of all of our plans of who we are apart from Christ, because we're co-crucified with Christ. That means we, we died and then we're raised again with him. Um, we find the salvation that we so desperately need. So salvation is not about a life improvement project. It's not about doing better. It's about dying and rising. And that's what salvation looks like. Um, and so that's where Luther's trying to get us to is to the person of Jesus mm-hmm the person of Christ um, with his power at work in us to work in us, to change us, to justify us, to sanctify us um, and to reconcile us back um, to the father. So Tim, are we on the same page now? Not arguing. We weren't. Okay, good, good. John Calvin has a way of bringing us all together. Doesn't he? (laughs) That's one of the things I love about John Calvin. He's a unifier. (laughs) He, uh, whenever you bring up his name, it, yeah. unity immediately happens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is funny because that's actually what he was trying to do in his life. Um, yeah, I brought up John Calvin this past week in Sunday school. Oh yeah, and I said uh, actually when it was it was good, but I said sometimes he's the boogeyman. You know, it's kind of like it's kind of like uh, Freddy Krueger with his nails that comes out every now and then. It's like John Calvin. Oh, oh. Don't fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, don't fall asleep, children. <laughs> Ah, you know, and so uh, with that long beard he had, that long pointy beard. Mm-hmm. Freddy Krueger? Oh, no, no, John, John Cal. Freddy Krueger's got burnt off. Freddy Krueger's got burnt off. <laughs> oh, gosh. And his long black robe. Yeah, and his long black robe. But actually, he, uh, he was a, a, a decent fellow, I think. Um, and so, nope. Um, good stuff. Um, I think this is helpful because uh, I, I think that... Um, it's just a good reminder that that the in all of these things uh, we're being driven back to Christ and to His feet, and that's where we're going to be heading towards eventually. Is where Luther's going to eventually talk about the cross and how we how we then live life as Christians is different because we're looking at it through the lens of the cross and not through the lens of of worldly success or worldly glory because the cross is foolishness um, to unbelievers. And so as he calls, he calls us theologians as a theologian, as someone who's trying to understand where do I find God? How do I understand God? How do I understand the world? 
um, we don't look around the world and try to find God. We look to the cross, and there we see God. There we see Jesus. There we see the meaning of life um, in him. So thank you for listening to this. Hopefully it's been helpful. Take care, and God bless.